Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is an author and martial artist who's been involved in karate for over 54 years and teaching in Calgary for 42 years. He coached the Karate All Styles team for 17 years, was a Canadian Masters Champion in 90 and 91, and is the Chief Instructor for the Canadian Shotokan Association. He conducts seminars throughout North America and Europe and is considered a leading authority on karate kata history and application. He's married and his wife Julie is a shodan. His daughter Jenna married one of his black belts and he has a granddaughter and also loves to play golf. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. John Hannity. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for the introduction. Thank you. I, I truly appreciate your time and I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about you. What we do with all my guests, I want to go back to the very beginning. You've been doing this a long time, and I just kind of I want to know like where that first spark came from. What led to that very first interest in martial arts? And just talk a little bit about that. Sure. Well, I started off boxing as a kid, and uh, realized I wasn't going to be a world champion. <laughs> and um, yeah, I started in karate quite late in life. I was twenty five, oh, wow. uh, twenty four, twenty five when I started, and um, it was an extremely different than what it is today, vastly different. I took up a traditional shoulder camp, and in fact, I've never done anything else. Wow. So um, my boxing uh, career was very short-lived. I'd done it as a schoolboy and got through to Liverpool finals once because I come from Liverpool, England. Okay. And um, that's, you know, as far as I got. And, uh, I didn't uh, propose to be a world champion, but I'd always liked the challenge. And um, I'd gone to sea as a very early age just to make a living. Mm -hmm. And I'd been all around the world before I was 18. And then what I did was I, uh, I joined the army to get myself an education, which turned out very well for me. And they were very good with that. I upgraded all my grades up to university level, but I couldn't make university. It just wasn't worth it. I was basically a war orphan. My parents, I was born right at the end of the war, one week after D-Day. So the times were kind of hard, you know, we still on rations for the next five or six years in England. It was um, still pretty much, you know, get what you could while you could. So I was used to growing up hard and uh, I was used to uh, challenges. And I found uh, when I first took my first karate lesson, it was the challenge that got me. I didn't have any goals. I didn't even know. There were goals to get. I just wanted to get better. And it was vastly different from, say, the army where the guy ahead of you or in charge of you could be an absolute idiot and very often was. <laughs> um, when you saw the guy in front of you doing karate, he was obviously better than you. Mm -hmm. So all I wanted to do was be as good as the guy in front. 
that was my uh, sole ambition. In uh-huh. fact, when I got my show down, I didn't even know that you got a certificate. So when this envelope showed up from Japan, I was really surprised. I was more in love with the envelope than I was with the certificate. <laughs> it was really fancy, you know, KKA showdown certificate. Yeah, that's what got me going. And it wasn't easy. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the guys in the club, they were younger than me. And, you know, I, I kind of uh, struggled a bit. Flexibility was tough for me. But I just persevered. I, I never passed a grading first time, any grading. So it took me uh, just on eight years to get to showdown. I failed oh. about four or five times. And uh, Sensei Anoida, a very famous Japanese instructor, I think he just got tired of seeing me showing up for gradings and gave me it. You know. <laughs> so uh, I tended to get a little better after I got my show done because I, I upped my training schedule to like twice a day, every day. Wow. So, yeah, I was working nights. I owned um, taxi cabs in Liverpool, the Black Hackney cabs. Mm-hmm. And Liverpool's a really tough city. It's very cosmopolitan, uh, one of the biggest seaports in the world. So you got everything in there. And uh, driving a taxi in Liverpool, a lot of the people there look on you more as a source of income than transport. So you ended up getting into fights, at least one fight a week, not competition fights. These are fights for your life fights. So I found karate gave me a lot uh, different techniques that I could import into my natural aggression. And uh, I found it very useful in that respect. Basically, in the, the physiology and the body mechanics, mm-hmm. how to use your body. I'm not a big guy. I'm, I'm, I'm quite small. And um, it just worked for me. Um, and sometimes it worked too well, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, it worked. Think back to that, that first eight years. I know I've talked to many people yeah. over the years who, who they get involved. And if they, if they don't pass, you know, the first time or the second time or a couple belt and they, you know, they, what was it inside of you that made you want to keep going? You know, when you, you said you never passed the first time for a test, what was it? Yeah. What was, where did that drive come from? Do you think? Well, I think what it is, I tend to, to look, I bought as many books as I could on it, but there wasn't that many books around. It was basically uh, Nishiyama and Brown's book and, um, you know, the best karate series by Nakayama, coupled by Kanazawa, but they were just picture books, you know, how to do a cat and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was probably just sheer bloody-mindedness. <laughs> I didn't take criticism as a sign of failure. Basically, when I went in there, and I was lucky enough to get an excellent instructor, and I worked it out that his job was to teach, and my job was to learn. And I wanted to get really good at my job. And I think it was stubbornness, whatever, but she just grit and perseverance. I wasn't going to be defeated by it because it was too much of a challenge. If I back down from that challenge, then you back down from a lot of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't really know where I was going. I just wanted to know that. I just wanted to get better at what I was doing. Okay. So that's kind of what drove me and still drives me, actually. Nice. Now, did you ever get involved into the competition side of, of martial arts? Yeah. I was lucky enough to be on a couple of teams. I wasn't really good as an individual. I tended to get disqualified a lot because mm-hmm. I had more street fights than competition fights. <laughs> okay. My best results was um, 78. I got through to the last 16 of the national championships in Crystal Palace. 
Wow. And I got defeated by the uh, by the then European champion, George Godfrey. But that was um, a fantastic year. You had absolute stars up there that got through to the final, like Terry O'Neill and Frank Brennan. And, you know, Terry O'Neill was in Conan the Barbarian. He made a few movies and he was a top, top fighter. Mm-hmm. He also did uh, Fighting Arts magazine, one of the best magazines around at the time and um i wrote a few articles for him in that years oh, ago nice. and you know, so i did some uh, pieces on nishiyama and his camps down in la jolla that i used to attend every year okay so, and then and did I you compete in did you do sparring and kata or do you one versus the other yeah okay yeah i did uh, sparring uh, mostly in fact i um, my master's championships i got in canada i was probably the oldest in the ring I got always got gold in Kumite, but I only got silver in Kata. You know, I, like there's people just specialize in Kata or specialize in Kumite. Mm-hmm. Where I came from, you had to do both. You didn't get a choice. Oh. You had to do both. So you got some really, really good people, and they do complement each other. You know? Yeah, definitely. And I, I have to ask any any time I meet someone who who does Shotokan, that my fondest memory from Shotokan lessons when I was a teenager, uh, did your school have the uh, the Makiwara board? Yeah, nice. I still have a Makiwara board in my backyard. Oh wow, very yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I use Makiwara. I use bags. When I'm teaching, when I, my um, general lessons start off with, I teach you a technique. I'll teach you how to block the technique. I'll teach you how to make a counter. We'll talk a little bit about timing, and then you're going to do it. Okay. Because don't believe in just walking up and down the dojo, punching and kicking at fresh air. That doesn't work. You get a false sense of security. Plus, there's a lot of psychological and physical variables that come into play when you're facing somebody. You know, your timing, distance, all of the targets. Plus, just the psychological barrier of having somebody in your own personal space mm-hmm. that can throw a lot of people off. And so uh, I, tr- I try to put people together as quickly as we can. So even if it's, you know, just drills, kumite drills, at least they get used to be working with and against somebody rather than pressure. That makes perfect sense. You mentioned yeah. teaching. At what, uh, at what belt level, kind of when did teaching become something that interested you and kind of what, what drew you to that? What drew me to teaching was in my club back home in the, in the UK was the Red Triangle Club in Liverpool. It was quite a famous club. And they never allowed anybody in under 12 years old at one time. And then I think in, I'd just gotten my show down and they decided they'd start a youngsters class. And that was like nine years and up. And um, a couple of the black belts, like Bob Poynton and, and these guys, they were teaching it. They were like fourth downs and European and world champions. And what would happen is they get called away on seminars. And it, because I was always there, I mean, I was training twice a day anyway. They asked me, would you fill in? Would you take this class for me? I ended up taking the kids class for quite a while. And we produced like three or four national champions from that kids class. Wow. So it was kind of good. Yeah. So I think what what I found was my forte wasn't kumite or kata. I found that what I did best was teach. Okay. And um, that led me to the first book I wrote, which was um, the Shodokan Handbook for Instructors. So I teach people how to teach now and give them the philosophy, you know, that's involved in it and mm-hmm. uh, the physiology, body mechanics, body fundamentals. 
explain all this and uh, how your body's working and what you need to do to achieve your objectives. Uh, so that, that's where I got into teaching and that's been the most productive for me. It's probably kept me going a lot longer than I would have done otherwise. Yeah. Nice. You you mentioned uh, you know, it took you eight years to get your your show done. Talk a little bit about yeah. that about that test. I'm just curious. You know, back back then, you know how how different was the test then compared to like maybe how you test your students now? And a little bit about that test. It was virtually the same test. I wow. because I I thought it was good. Everything I have my syllabus written out from white belt all the way up to fifth down, and it's part of my instructor's handbook. And I discuss capability as opposed to ability. Mm -hmm. So if I believe you're capable of more uh, than what you're showing me, then I want to see it. But when I was grading, I think my nerves got the better of me a lot of times. And when it came to the, like the kata and the, and the, we, we did um, the grading in three parts. First of all, you did your basics, which was just like going up and down doing combinations kind of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. the kicks and all that. So they could just see you're doing your basic techniques in the, you know, in the correct way. Your technique was following the correct path. You're putting your body behind it. Your core and your hips were involved, how you're driving from the floor and your breathing. So when you're doing your, your basics, your key home, that's what you're looking for. Eye direction, spirit for, you know, power. And then the second part we did kata and it's, how well you could master the cancers. You picked your could black belt, you picked your own cancer from a list of five, which is not the hands. Uh, this would be the um, the second list. Basai Dai, Kanka Dai, Gion, NP, and Hangets. So you pick from that, and then, of course, the instructor could also pick any cancer at random. And then you had the Kumite portion where you had to fight five people in a row. So you have two of the same grade, and three of a higher grade. Okay. And you had to show that you could at least control a fight so that you weren't uh, absolutely beaten up. <laughs> um, but it, was a, it wasn't a point fight. It was just continuous movement. Right. So, you know, you, you could be quite um, subdued and you could be dominated if it was a really good fight. But I say I had a pretty stubborn mindset and uh, I'd go out to get that guy you know, like before he got me. One of my prime tenets of Kumite is any kind of confrontation or altercation you get into is attack their intention. Don't wait for them to attack you. Attack their intention. I believe that's the best form of self-defense. So okay. I, I tended to put that into my practice as much as I could. What led you to want to open your own school? Well, I came to Calgary in 1980 and um, I was looking for a karate club. And I found one downtown at the YMCA. And I went down there and uh, I had a look in them. And, and they asked me if I would teach there, which wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I wanted to train. I was 35 at that time. So, you know, but I still wanted to train. I stuck with them for maybe a year. And the first two weeks I was there, they put me on the Alberta team. And uh, I did quite well. And then I started training with Nishiyama going down to LA at least once every month or two months and wow. down for his summer camps. And I also brought him up into um, Alberta so for seminars. So, you know, I, I wanted to open them up 
to what was out there rather than, you know, just, it was a very insular scene at that time. There wasn't much in the way of karate uh, going in Alberta at that time. And Canada's a really big place, so you're geographically challenged uh, right. wherever you are, unless you're in Ontario or Quebec, which have very good karate clubs, by the way. Mm -hmm. But in Alberta, it was a little hard to find anything where I could learn. So what I do is I go down to California, I come back, and I teach these guys. But the guy who owned the club or ran the club got a little cheesed off with that, thinking I was taking over his club. So I thought, okay, well, just walk away, and I'll start my own club, which I did in a local community center. So it grew really quick. So I thought, okay. So I, I uh, ended up getting my own dojo. It probably got mm, probably the longest full-time dojo in Alberta. Wow. We've got a, a dojo that's open every day. And uh, at one time I was going around nine nine clubs teaching in just in Alberta wow. and then doing seminars in BC and uh, stuff like that. What happened, I was still with the JKA at that time. And then, of course, um, in 87... Nakayama passed, and there was a big split in the JKA. And um, Nishiyama, who I'd trained under for, you know, 10 years from 80 to 90, he was running his own thing, and he ran constant arguments with the Olympic Committee. I just got fed up with all of the uh, the politics. Mm -hmm. So I uh, phoned up my sensei uh, back in the UK, and they said they were starting a World Shotokan Karate Association and they were having a meeting, this was in 89, in Italy, and they invited me over to Ferrara in Italy. So I went over and we started the World Shotokan Karate Association. And I was one of the founder members and the first vice president. And they asked me if I would host the first championship in Calgary. So I did in 1991. And we had the first world championship in Calgary. We had um, 29 countries attend and it was amazing but holy cow i think i needed like two months off after it was over it was <laughs> just work 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 yeah. and we didn't have the the technology they have now where you can sign up on computers and everything else that wasn't around everything was done by hand mm -hmm. yeah that was a little bit of thing but i stayed with the world shotokan karate association and um Attended every one of the events in Poland in 2007. I was president, and then I resigned actually in 2022. Oh wow! Just because I'm getting a bit old and I'm finding it harder. I just didn't feel like I wanted to referee or anything like that. I didn't feel capable because those guys are world class and they move fast and they deserve a, you know somebody who can keep up with them. And there's so many good referees in the, the Shotokan world. Oh, good. But nowadays, I um, stick around with this club. In fact, we uh, we do tours to Japan. We were just in Japan in April. We have six clubs in Tokyo, affiliate clubs in mm -hmm. Tokyo that we uh, we visit. Because uh, we have clubs all over the U.S. that affiliates kind of sister organizations. Okay. Do you have any, any clubs in Minnesota or North Dakota? No, okay. I wish. <laughs> That's a little closer. Yeah. Mostly they're down in California. Okay. Uh, some in New York and, um, yeah, some on the West Coast, mostly on the West Coast, some on the East Coast. Okay. And I think there's going to be one starting up in uh, Florida. 
Oh, wow. We have quite a good um, good groups. We we have a club in Manitoba. That's kind of close to Minnesota, isn't it? Yeah, that's Winnipeg. So, I mean, Winnipeg's just north, yeah. north of yeah. I live right near Fargo, North Dakota. I'm in Moorhead, Minnesota. Okay. So I'm you know, yeah. straight down the interstate from, from Winnipeg. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, there's some good karate people around Winnipeg, and um, they've been kind of quiet over the years, but mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple in Brantford. Branson? Oh, Brantford. Can't remember it. Okay. Anyway, um, we have a club in Dolphin, and we had one in Swan River, which is just small little towns. Mm-hmm. Basically, what we have is like the local Mountie that trained with me at some time or other, and then he'd gone posted somewhere and started a club, and I'd go out there and do seminars for him or gradings and stuff like that. Nice. So you, you talk about seminars. Do you remember what, uh, when was your first, like where was your first seminar? What, do you remember the first time someone asked you to teach a seminar? I'm trying to think now. I took um, quite a lot down in California. I think the, uh, Ray Dolkey, uh, I don't know if you know Ray Dolkey. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on the um, U.S. team for a long time. Okay. Uh, one of Michigan's top students. Uh, he um, invited me down in the early 90s to teach at um, his club. And then I also did some um, summer camps for him up in Idlewild mm-hmm. in uh, San Bernardino Mountains. Nice. And I taught with him for five or six years, and then he had a um, had a martial arts program running at the UC River, uh, Riverside, yep. U, uh, UCR, and that was a very very successful program. So I taught there a couple of times. Okay. And then Edmund Daltus took it over. He was one of Dalkey's top students, and um, he started running camps down at um, Carlsbad. In okay. California yep. and Oceanside, and I taught down there every year till um, it got too expensive. The Army and Navy Academy that we used to use started to put the prices up, but we we still kept our camps going. You know, okay. we still kept our seminars going. Nice. So I've done seminars in um, New York and Pennsylvania, you okay. know, up and down California and stuff like that, and then of course over in Europe. More people know me in Europe than they do here. So, where's your where's your uh, favorite? What's the, the your favorite city you've got to visit because of karate? Oh, geez. I, well, I like training in Liverpool. Obviously, we went, went back there and, and mm-hmm. did um, a world there. But I think Italy is my favorite country. I I went back to Italy every year. We used to go back every year and uh, stay in Tuscany, and then they've got clubs all around Italy. And Treviso's got a really good karate um, scene there. They've, they've got a good group up there. And then Mr. Shirai, uh, Sensei Shirai, is also over in um, Italy. And uh, he, he's got a very, very good reputation. Okay. He's a compatriot of uh, Sensei Anoida. Italy's on my dream list. That's one of the spots I really want. I have a few friends that live in Rome and I've never been to Italy, but California, I used to live there. And that, so the area you talked about, I used to drive through San Bernardino every day. So I know, I know Southern California very well. Yeah. I got to know it very well because of going down to, um, Michiama's camps from the uh, early eighties, which was entirely different seeing that the training was so much more traditional and, and tougher than it is, you know, and of course, uh, we we do tend to go over to Japan about once a year just to you know say hello and train with all the guys over mm-hmm. there. So we trained. Um, as I say we have uh, six clubs in Tokyo, at, uh, but they're a little bit more 
competitive based than I like. So I, okay. I just, when I go over there, I tend to get into more of the self-defense and I do a lot of joint manipulation and throws for them, which they absolutely love because nice. they tend to do a lot more of the uh, KWF, WKF rather style of competition, you know, which is yeah. very light and flick. So think back to that very first kids class you taught to now. Yeah. What do you think has yeah. changed the most about your teaching style over the years? Not an awful lot. I'm starting to get a lot more tolerance, and my wife tells me that I've mellowed down. <laughs> um, but my students wouldn't agree with her. <laughs> Basically, what I, I do is I have my own little mantra, and is I'm only going to teach you the right way. So if you persist in doing it the wrong way, I'm going to be on your case. But then the other thing I tell them is please don't equate criticism with failure, which is tends to be a Western thing. Mm-hmm. You know, as I mentioned before, you have a job to do as a student. I have a job to do as an instructor. Now, I would be failing in my job if I let you get away with not doing it right. Right. right? So if I criticize you or correct you, a lot of people these days, they, they wilt. They just wilt and they think of because um, they're being criticized by the instructor, it's failure. Now, what's failure is if I leave you alone, yeah. because I obviously don't think you're worth it. <laughs> you're not worth my time, so I won't say anything to you. But uh, no, um, I think I was very hard on the first classes because all I did was take the training that I was getting in the uh, advanced class and do exactly the same thing with the junior class. I expected them to do the same thing, probably faster and harder. You know, the kids are a lot more resilient and tougher. And I just expected, I knew they were capable of more. So I wanted more. Now, I definitely want to get to your books, but first of all, you mentioned you wrote some articles for some magazines. So what kind of led to you getting into writing? Where did that interest come from? Basically, I used to write down, I put notes after I'd finished the seminar, I was finished teaching, I'd do notes on what kind of drills I'd done, uh, what got the best response, and what got the best results, right? Some drills are very repetitive, and you don't get the best results from them. Right. And also, I had a really good look at the, the physiology and, and the body mechanics behind a lot of the techniques. And in the early days, a lot of the techniques and the physiology behind them was damaging to the body and the joints. And I can attest to that because, you know, I've got fake knees and fake hips and even a fused ankle. So you have to look, uh, if you're hurting yourself, then you're probably doing it wrong, right? So a few of the things that, you know, uh, Japanese or early instructors taught you probably weren't good for your body. You know, they may have been good, like doing bunny hops around the room or down into squats, coming up and bouncing up into kicks and stuff like that. Just not good for your body, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I've never seen the point of doing 2,000 kicks, which, you know, we've done in the class. We've got a, probably an instructor who maybe didn't speak English, had a problem with the gaijin or whatever, and just said, all we're going to do is 2,000 kicks. So you'd stagger back to your room just about walking. And I'm thinking, you know, I do 50 kicks. I've probably got it right. I don't need to do 2,000. I'm just, you know, the muscle memory is already in there. I don't need to do that. And um, when I started training with Nishiyama, he was excellent at um, 
describing and, and teaching the physiology behind the techniques. He started the, um, he was responsible for the JKA instructors courses, the very first ones. Okay. And he, he put a lot of work into that and he put a lot of work in, into his book, which he wrote with uh, Richard Brown. It's been out for years now, it came out in the early 50s or 60s. And um, the way he explained it and the, the way he uh, talked about it was good. But he was he was not interested in the application. He was only interested in how he to build power through the technique and how the technique worked. His knowledge of timing was great, and you know his knowledge of distance was great. But it was all more theoretical. It was more way it was explained. Mm-hmm. But but this, when I'm teaching, as I said, I like to bring people together straight away, so you get hold of the uh, timing and the distance, you, you'll figure it out. If somebody is in your space, you know they're in your space, right? right. Yep. Yeah, so analogy I use is if you're tra- going home one night on the bus and you're nobody else on the bus but you, somebody gets on and sits next to you, it's extremely uncomfortable, right? Yeah. And then everybody who's doing kumite, when I start them off, they're going to stand about four feet apart. There's a reluctance to get into somebody's face. But most altercations where there's force involved, they're going to be in your face. <laughs> That's where they're going to be. That's where it happens. Mm-hmm. So you've got to get used to that. And what you've got to also try and do is restrict the adrenaline flow. Uh, just don't let the adrenaline take a hold of you which it takes a lot of practice for somebody who's been in a lot of street fights. I'll tell you right now, the adrenaline is a killer. Mm-hmm. It's slow to come on and then it dumps really hard. Yep. So, you know, you, you almost ODs. So I, you'll be thinking about it three weeks later. Oh, I should have done this. I should have done this. <laughs> it lasts, you know, the, 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 um, it lingers in your mind a long time. Right. Right? By the time you've had any kind of uh, altercation in a street fight, you're going to walk away, you're going to be six blocks down the road, leaning on the wall with your heart doing 200 beats a minute. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. That's adrenaline. It just does, uh, you, you've got to learn to control it. But you're never going to learn to control it if you don't experience it. And the way you experience it is try to make the kumite as close as possible. It's not, not where you're going to get hurt, but where you're going to have to do something. So one uh, of the mantras I tell my students is, you have to do your best to make your partner do their best, right? Nice. If yeah. you're not trying, he doesn't have to try. Right. You're punching to miss. He's blocking away. You're both going to go home. He's going to think he can punch. You're going to think you can block. You're both going to get beat up first time. That's a good way to yeah. look at it. So You talked a little bit about your first book already. Talk about the new one. I literally just got it in my hands about two hours ago, so I haven't had a chance to read it yet. But uh, it's Handwriting on Karate, Training the Body and Mind. Talk a little bit about kind of what what led to that and what people can get from that book. Well, I started writing a biography. My wife wanted me to write a biography because apart from karate, I'd have a a very full life with being in um, Merchant Navy and Army and stuff like that. But most of my life has been about karate, you know, last 50 odd years. And I have a certain philosophy on karate and the fact that it's a complete system for me and always has been. You know, you'll get people from Aikido saying, oh, we do a lot of trolls. And people from Jiu-Jitsu, oh, we do a lot of joint manipulations. 
uh, Taekwondo, we do a lot of kicks. Shotokan karate does everything. If, if you're teaching it right and if you're being taught right, it does everything. You got all of that. I can run a class purely on throws or purely on kicks or purely on joint manipulations. So it does fulfill everything. And um, I think most martial arts have done properly. And if you go back to the basics in them, you're going to find that this is true of all of them. Yes. And probably anybody who's been doing this for 40 or 50 years will tell you the same thing. We all have a complete system. Mm-hmm. It's just that people tend to pick and choose these days, whether it's easier or it's fancier or, you know, you win medals from it. Whatever reason uh, they do is their own, but they tend to just pick a little bit here and pick a little bit there. There's two ways of uh, learning. There's deductive and inductive, and I think I mentioned it in the book. But when you're doing uh, deductive learning, when you take one subject and you delve into it as deeply as you can, and it's amazing how many different ways you can go once you delve into that one subject. And then the other kind of inductive is you're just going to take the surface of one and then you're going to take the surface of another and another. So it goes back to the old saying, you know, jack of all trades and master of none. That's kind of like skimming it. Yeah. Some people are very, very good at the surface, but they don't really go into the depth. They don't see what's behind it and they don't look for it. And the more you do, the the better your understanding of that subject will be. It's like there's no real experts in any one thing in the world. There's clever people. But what makes an expert is somebody who's had probably 10 times more experience than you at doing what he does. Right. That's what makes him an expert is, is experience. It's, you know, it's the same for everything, really. But um, the book was basically um, the first part I I just talk about my early life and going back on different things and my view on karate. Basically, I think, uh, and I mentioned this in the book, there's three kinds of karate. There's Okinawan karate, there's Japanese, and then there's the Westernized karate, sports karate. Now, Okinawans, I'll tell you, theirs was the original karate, and it was only ever called karate. It wasn't called anything else. And that they don't have a style, it's just karate. Well, obviously, they do have a style. For example, there's two different regions in Okinawa, Nahate and Shurite. And from the very first books I ever read on it, people would say, even Funakoshi would differentiate styles from Nahate or Shurite. One was hard and fast, and the other was soft and, uh, sorry, soft and strong. So it's kind of like Goju and Shotokan. But they're still karate. Karate isn't defined by an area, isn't defined by a person. It's defined more by kata and the application. Like I mentioned in the book, if you're in a fight and you get smacked right in the mouth by a competitor, you couldn't tell me whether he was goju or shodokan or chitaru. <laughs> you couldn't even tell me if he did taekwondo. Right. You get smacked in the mouth, that's it. You know? There's no real style in that. It's just the application and the catters that make the styles. How you train basically makes your style. Plus, everybody can say that they follow so-and-so's style, but it's untrue. I, I look extensively at all of the people who came through the very first JKA instructor's course run by Nishiyama and uh, Nakayama. Shirai, Kanazawa, 
Noida, Cache, every one of them look different. You can put them on the floor and ask them to do a kata and they all look different. They all look different in how they perform the different techniques. So after a while, you don't really follow a style. What you do is you develop your own style. And um, I think this is really important that you let people know straight away. Don't try to do it exactly the way that your instructor is doing it. He's going to tell you if you've got it right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And he's going to show you the correct way to do it. But if you can make it work, then you've done it right. That's a great way to look at it, yeah. Cool. And yeah. the and the book the book's available. I found it out. It's on Amazon, uh, so I'll I'll definitely yeah. put put a link for it out there. I can't wait to read it. It looks yeah. and like you said, it's it looks like a quick read. It's about a hundred hundred pages. So I'm, yeah, I'll, it's a quick read. There's a few pictures in there. And, um, I kept it down when you when you're writing a book, and I found this out when I wrote my first book on my handbook on how to teach. Is uh, it's not what you put into a book; it's what you leave out of it. Uh, you know, it, you, you have a job sorting through all of the the stuff that you need to, you think you need, mm-hmm. and then you go, well, you know, maybe I don't need that, maybe I don't need that, or that's not so interesting to people and stuff like that. I wanted to keep it brief, but maybe also give them uh, a little taste. And um, if they're interested, we can, you know, kind of go on from there. Okay. Um, I know Dan Costa, who published the book, he's really keen for me to do more. Whether I can or I don't, I know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm getting old now, so <laughs> but I'm still teaching and training. So we'll well, see. hopefully, hopefully, we'll see another one. That'd be good. So I'm curious now. You've spent you know most of your life in a in a traditional Japanese you know martial art. So what yeah. are what are your thoughts on something like MMA and the UFC? And is that something you're a fan of? Yeah, I am actually any martial arts I'm a fan of. I once did um, a police fire games competition now uh, police police and fire games is quite a famous competition mm-hmm. they get a uh, policeman and firemen from all over the world competing in the martial arts there's no one particular style now sensei demura i don't know if you know fumio demura he was the original karate kid guy. he's been on my show actually yes before he passed away right. I, I got to well, interview you go. him yeah so I, yeah i got on very well with him nice and he was the chief official at this and i was refereeing and he, I, um, we just had one particular guy come up and he just bowed and then he walked to the edge of the ring and then he kicked Mawashi all around the ring, didn't have his foot switched down. He hopped all the way around, stopped, bowed, and then went the other way with the other leg all the way around. Well, I couldn't see any application or anything else in it. And so I looked over and Sansi Demora comes over and he goes, I know what you're thinking, John. He says, it won't work. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, but it takes work to do it. And I kind of had to look at the rest of the competition from that aspect. Some of that stuff will never work, but it takes a lot of work to do it. And you got to admire the perseverance and uh, what they they have to do to get to that stage. I could not kick Mawashi all the way around a 10-meter ring Mm -hmm. and then the other way. You know, my leg would fall off, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I, I I agree. That's definitely the same type thing. So, yeah. but I thought it was a very insightful way of him when he said, you know, it, you know, it won't work, but it takes work to do it. And so we we started judging them on the, that aspect. He was a very wise man. That's for sure. 
Yeah, he was a great guy. He got on very well. Yeah. yeah, I was, I was, I was honored when when he said yes to the interview. So it was very, he was very, <laughs> very good to talk to, and he's a very funny man too. He told told a very, couple of very funny stories. Yeah, he's he's quite genial. We we, we got on very well. With, nice. Um, uh, that particular competition, I've met him a few times okay. uh, over the years. You know, that's cool. Now you you talk a lot about uh, philosophy, so I'm curious: is there in all your years, is there one philosophy that stands out? It's at the top of your list. You keep coming back to it. My, my basic philosophy in life is is kind of stoic, and I tend to, and I've said this to my students. You know, you, you're going to have a bad day. But what you do is you take the best out of every day you can. And there's always going to be something that you did. Mm-hmm. Lots of times we'd be working away and I'd crawl off the floor and my gear would weigh eight pounds with sweat. And then sit down and you, the best thing you can say to yourself is, there's not many other people that could do that. Or you don't have the perseverance or the grit to get through something like that. You know, if it was a hard class. And even if it wasn't a hard class, what did you get out of it? You know, mm-hmm. you always get something out of it. I never discourage my students from going to seminars with anybody else at all. I think that's really um, lack of, shows lack of self-confidence if you do that. Right. In fact, I encourage them to go. You can learn something of the lowest person coming into your club or you can learn from anybody. Go and look at what they're doing, how they're doing it. Try to figure out why they're doing it, because that's the hardest thing, figuring out why. You can judge everybody by their actions, but you don't know what their motives are. Right. So try and uh, get everything you can out of every day. I like it. That's a and, great, great um, philosophy. Yeah. Well, it's the same with your karate, right? You, you get what you can out of it. My whole life has been based around doing something that I love. Mm-hmm. Now, you're really lucky if it earns you a living. Mine didn't. So I had to, I earned a living as a hydraulic uh, engineer, but I wouldn't stop doing what I love. There's always that to fall back on. I'm doing something that I love. Rather than maybe just doing a humdrum job every day and then when you retire, you go, now what am I going to do? Yeah. You know, this is what I do. This is what I love. This is what I feel best. I get on the floor, even now, I get on the floor, I put my gi on, all the aches and pains go out the window, and I focus on exactly on what I'm doing. It's like taking your mind to the dry cleaners every time you walk in the dojo. I like that. Gets rid of everything, yeah. Okay. All right, I have a few fun questions to wrap it up here. Uh, now, this okay. one this one doesn't necessarily have to be four. I've had people give as few as two and as many as eight. So just who are like three, four, five names you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? Uh, I think the first one would be Anoida Sensei. He was um, the first Japanese instructor I ever saw, and the man was a giant. He had amazing charisma and power and just fantastic technique. So he would definitely be the first. Now, they're not all going to be uh, Japanese because I'm a great admirer of Patrick McCarthy. Um, I don't know if you know about Patrick McCarthy. I know the name. I know a a little little bit about him, but not much. Yeah, he's a karate historian. He was a freestyle karate fighter, but extremely clever and... um, an amazing martial arts brain. So he developed his own system, but it works. And we're great friends. We've been great friends for 20, oh, 30 odd years. 
and um, he he would be up there. I think he's done amazing job for martial arts. Then I think I, I would definitely put Nishiyama up there, although despite all of his really good qualities on karate, he tended towards politics a little bit. Okay. But I think I would put him up there basically for his depth of knowledge, which was amazing. There's a few other Japanese there, like Yahara Sensei, who's mm-hmm. a really nice guy. I like him, but he, he is amazing too. Frank Brennan, British martial artist. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of him, yep. but uh, definitely worth looking up if you have, want to have a look at some of the YouTube videos. The guy was brilliant, and I knew him from when he was about 12, and uh, amazingly flexible, amazingly powerful and fast. Won everything, just about everything. Okay. So just about anybody that was on um, any of the uh, national karate teams in the 80s and 90s, because it was tough. It was really tough. And they all deserve to be, you know, to be up there. There's probably, I could probably do 30 people, but, uh, you know. <laughs> I used yeah. to only ask for one and no one could ever give one. That's why I switched it to the Mount Rushmore thing. And yeah. usually people get yeah. more than four anyway. So I, I, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Good. And, yeah. and most people no, say they, they change their mind every day anyway. So, <laughs> Yeah, not really. I think, I, I think I'd keep them in that order because okay. I look on the people who have had the most effect on me, and that would be Anoida and Nishiyama, you know, people like Frank Brennan, um, like uh, Yahara, just a whole load of them. You know. Okay. Any of the first Japanese group. Certainly Sensei Shirai. I haven't seen anybody as smooth as Shirai. He's just so smooth with his technique. That's a good Mount Rushmore. All right. Other than your books, do you have a favorite martial arts book? Let me see. I, looking at my library, I've probably got like 300 books. Nice. Believe it or not, one of my favorite books isn't a Shotokan Karate book. It is Hakido, a guy called Tadeshi. It's traditional philosophy and techniques. It's the absolute complete system. And I look through it. They do a lot of throws, but um, it's an amazing book. It's quite big, but he's put down as much as he can from his system. And a lot of the stuff in there relates to Shotokan, particularly the throws and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But it is a complete system. And I think I've had this book for oh, 20 years now, wow. and um, it's really good. Okay. I wish I could get hold of him to sign it for me because most of the books that I have have been signed oh, wow. you know, by Nishiyama and all that. So, But this one, no. And I do have a really big collection of Terry O'Neill's uh, Fighting Arts magazines because okay. I, I used to be the North American distributor. Nice, yeah. I think only about four or five of my books are signed, so you definitely got me beat on that one. And I probably only have about 100, <laughs> 150 in my library, so I got a ways to go. I have uh, Masoyama's This Is Karate oh, um, wow. and the other one, What Is Karate, both volumes. Uh, they're good, but I haven't got cool. them signed because he died before I got them. That's still cool to have original copies of those, though. That's that's really cool. Yeah, it's probably uh, worth a few dollars, that collection. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll probably leave it to my son-in-law. He's He instructs at the club for me. That's cool. So now this one you may not have an answer for. Not all my guests do. Do you have a favorite okay. martial arts video game? Were you ever into video games? No, I never <laughs> did video games okay. at all. Uh, I did like that one. Um, 
that they they had in the, in the pubs. You know, what is it Street Fighter? Oh yeah, yeah, Street Fighter is a fun yeah, one. Yeah, I, yep. I like that one. Yeah, I okay. like that one. Cool, that's uh, good. Only because I saw it in the pubs a few times. You know, and uh, oh yeah, they used to say finish him. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> something like that. All right, how about a favorite martial arts TV show? Well, I used to teach outreach programs for native kids mm-hmm. on reserves all over Alberta when I was working with the uh, education board. And believe it or not, I used to take the Karate Kid, the original one. Okay. Because I thought that was an excellent, excellent movie. Mm-hmm. And there was some good values in it. Uh, it. In fact, it was just a good movie. I never watched any of the others after it. Really? But the original Karate Kid, okay. I, I thought was good. I thought it was really good. Now, Cobra Kai's been on TV, and I've yep. watched a few of them, but I'm not a big fan. But oh, really? A lot of my students like <laughs> it. They're, they're okay. Yeah. But it's cheesy acting. It is, but I love it. <laughs> it's cheesy, but I love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it is cheesy, and you look at it, and I go, "God damn, I could beat them up." Oh, <laughs> yeah, see, and Karate Kid is my all-time favorite movie because that when I joined Tung Sido, I, I literally was yeah. wa- walking out of opening weekend at Karate Kid at the movie theater in yeah. 1984, and the yeah. lo- local Tung Sido yeah. instructor was standing out front handing out free yeah. passes. So yeah, that's how I got well, into martial funny arts. Funny enough, <laughs> when, when I first started. Um, Kung Fu was on TV yep. with um, David Carradine. Yep. I can't remember the guy. Yeah, Carradine. Yep. Yeah, yep. and um, that was a, a, a draw. Uh, although I, I got to confess, I, I didn't really watch much of it at all. Okay. Uh, I, I I'd already started in karate, and so I didn't really watch an awful lot of it. Okay. But um, that was on TV, and a lot of a lot of guys used to come to the club and go, oh, you know. But uh, it was a tough club. You know, they get schools to shut off. You know, yeah. Not getting in the air if you think it's Kung Fu. And in fact. I was going to say, have you ever, have you ever seen the show Into the Badlands? No. Oh, okay. You might, you might enjoy that it's one. Good. Yeah, really oh, good. Yeah. Lots, of, okay. lots of good fights I'll, I'll, lots I'll of look, good martial arts in that I'll, one. I'll look, at, I'll look it up. Okay. Well, I really like, like the, uh, you know, the Bang and uh, ones are like uh, Jason Statham and Jet Li. And I yep. love Jackie Chan when he was in his prime, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, drunken drunken Master and Rumble in the Bronx. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Very yeah cool. I, I have a really good collection of old um, samurai movies, all of Kurosawa's. Oh, nice. Um, so they're pretty good. I have about uh, oh, 60 or 70 of them. And, wow. you know, um, Satoichi, mm-hmm. you know, all of those. Lone Wolf. Yep. Oh yeah. In fact, we um, our club was all invited to take part in a movie that was shot here in Alberta called Heaven and Earth. It's one of those big epic uh, samurai battles, uh-huh. and um, in the dojo we have a great big banner that the producer actually signed for the club, and we just put it up in the club. And um, a couple of the, the flags that samurai wear on the backs, you know, when they're going into battle uh-huh. uh, on horses. So a couple of our guys, I think about six of our guys were in the movie uh, oh. as extras, you know. So it was kind of cool. That's not the one of Tommy Lee Jones, is it? Or is that a different one? No, this it's called Heaven and Earth, and it's all Japanese. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't think it got to be really popular. I still have a VHS version that I've never taken out of the box. <laughs> so okay. I'm going to try and get it onto a DVD or something. Or yeah, I just, it, I just found it. You can actually, yeah, it looks like they have it on uh, on Amazon. I might have to order myself oh, a copy okay. and check it you out. Know. Oh, it's, it's good. It's epic. It's kind of like a Kagamusha, you know, a mm-hmm. Shadow Warrior. 
Yep. It's, that, it's that kind of genre. Okay. Tons of samurai running around on horses, chopping each other up, you know, nice. that kind of stuff. Yeah, have you, now you mentioned Masayama. Have you ever seen the movie Fighter in the Wind, the Korean movie? No. It's the story of his early life, but it was yeah. from, the, from the Korean side, not the Japanese side. So it was very, very well done, very, yeah. very interesting movie. Yeah, yeah, I talked to a lot of people who knew uh, Masayama quite well. Uh, Richard Kim was one of them. He's passed away now, but he used to do uh, a few of the camps down in La Jolla with Nishiyama. So uh, they both knew Masayama, but I don't know if it was professional jealousy or what. They mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of good things to say about him. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but you, you never you know. know. <laughs> you, get the, you get that no, from everybody. Yeah, so Yeah, you, you just shrug and uh, that's your opinion, you know. Oh, yeah. Whatever. He certainly did okay with his style. Yes, definitely. Yes, I, I would agree. All right, final question. Now, this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie, just any movie, a favorite movie fight scene. Favorite movie fight scene. Hmm. Ah, I'd have to think there. I think I, I, I like the Jackie Chan ones, but um, mm-hmm. I, I also like Ip Man. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> great movies. Yes. Donnie Yen. Ip, Ip, Man, Ip Man does some really good stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Donnie Yen. Yeah. I, I like him. I think he, he's pretty good. But, you know, get away from wire stuff and all that. Yeah. yeah just what he's doing and, and that is kind of cool. Yeah, I like Tony Yen. Yeah, but I also like, as I say, I like Jackie Chan because he does all his own stuff. And um, we had one of our guys was in one of his movies and um, it was filmed in Vancouver. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we got to chat a little bit about that. And he's, he's just mm-hmm. a super nice guy, Jackie Chan. So. Nice. Do you remember which, which movie? Because I, I know he filmed, I think he filmed um, Rumble in the Bronx yeah, in Vancouver, it, didn't he? That's it. Okay. That's it. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that movie. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the guys. Jordan Lennox was the guy okay. from our association that was in the movie. And he was actually on the BC team. And one of my guys beat him <laughs> in 92. We won the um, the nationals that year. We won the gold nationals. Every fighter was from my club on the on the Alberta team. Okay, that's kind of cool. That's awesome. Well, John, I gotta thank you, man. This has been so much fun. I've learned. I like I said, I really looking forward to reading your book. I'm actually going to bring it to work with me tomorrow and try to read it on my lunch break. Yeah. But I, I, I truly appreciate this. It's been so. I love your philosophies and the way you think. And I'm hoping maybe I can meet you in person someday. It'd be kind of cool to to sit, sit down and it chat. Would be a pleasure. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Brian. I appreciate that. Hey, thank you. I, I truly appreciate your time, and, and I can't wait till the episode comes out. Okay. Thanks a lot. Okay, you take care now. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.